This morning we're beginning a series called The Way of Jesus. Uh, let's say that together. The Way of Jesus. And the idea behind the series is that Jesus is, he did not simply call people to go to church. Though going to church or gathering each week for worship as we do has great value. Nor did Jesus simply people to call people to pray a set or formulaic uh, sinner's prayer, though that certainly has value too. When we pray, when we confess to God our sin, when we intentionally rely on God's grace. Nor did Jesus say, join a church, become an official member, though there's value in that as well. Nor did Jesus say, identify yourself as Christian, say, I'm a Christian, and then you're good to go. Your place in heaven is sealed, reserved, you're good to go. Though that may be true as well. None of those things in and of themselves are what Jesus came announcing when he said, the kingdom of God is near, Uh, hear the good news. The good news of the kingdom is around you and among you and available for you. It is near. Rather, Jesus called men and women to follow him. Jesus called people to walk in his steps, to live in his way. As he walked, as he lived, Jesus called people, men and women, to be his disciples. And that's sort of a loaded religious term now. So let's say Jesus called people to be his students, to learn from him, and not only cognitively, intellectually, knowledge, but to learn to live like he was living, to learn a certain way. And so we can say that Jesus called people to be his apprentices, even in order to learn uh, that, that way to live, the way of the kingdom, the way of abundance, the way to eternity, the way of joy, peace, love, hope. And this way of understanding Christianity and Jesus and discipleship may be a huge paradigm shift for you according to the ways you've thought about Christianity and discipleship and being a Christian growing up. All too often and for far too long, the church has failed to encourage people to walk in the way of Jesus, to live in the way of Jesus. An unusually radical way of life and of being. The church has been content to simply encourage people, ask people, push people to go to church or to come to church and has failed too often to challenge people to live in the way of Jesus, to be transformed inwardly and consequently also outwardly in the way. Dallas Willard in a book uh, that our elders and our staff are reading now talks a little bit at the beginning about the fact and the reality, at least from his perspective, that almost no church in our culture, in our society, in our world today has a plan, has a clearly articulated plan for helping its members learn to walk in the way of Jesus, to become like Jesus, to be his apprentices. Almost no church has a plan that is clear, articulated, and implemented that helps its members to walk in the way of Jesus. And I think that's true for 
most of the churches that I've seen and connected with and been a part of. And at times it's been very true here as well. I hope, though, that that doesn't continue to be the case. And so this extended series of messages that we're beginning today, and hopefully not just messages and a monologue, but conversations about it, what it means to live in the way of Jesus. I know, I know that many of us are not regulars here on Sunday mornings. I know that people have conflicts, that people travel for work and for pleasure, and that people get sick, and that people sometimes just feel like sleeping in. I felt like sleeping in this morning. <laughs> I get that. I also understand that those who regularly meet together here on Sunday mornings for worship, for many of us, that's not an every Sunday thing. It may be closer to three times a month, or two times a month, or maybe once a month, but we feel regular about it nevertheless. That is why I'm going to ask you this morning, even encourage you, to do something that I've never done before. From here forward on, to listen online, or if you don't do online, we'll make a CD for you, to listen to the messages over the next 15 weeks or so. Or if you don't want to listen, ask for a manuscript and read. But to stay on the same page with the rest of us as we attempt to follow a plan that hopefully will help us all, each of us, to live more in the way of Jesus, to walk in the way of Jesus, to be his apprentices, to attempt to practice the sort of life he taught his disciples or his students to live. When a student misses a week or even a day of high school, uh, we just had back to school night for all our kids the last couple of weeks and heard about the absentee uh, plans and uh, all of that. When a student misses a, a day or a week of high school or middle school, the teacher doesn't say, well, that's okay, it doesn't matter, uh, no worries, you don't need to make that up, it wasn't important anyway. Right? And here are the middle high school students uh, echoing exactly that, but it is important. And similarly, I want to think that what we talk about, and certainly as we're more intentional over these coming few months about a plan to live and become like Jesus, it is important that we get all of the messages, all of the lessons together. If we're going to be on the same page, I do not think that I'm a great preacher. I do not think that I'm a fabulous preacher that's worthy of being on your podcast list. I do not. But for the sake of us all being on the same page, all using the same language, all moving through the same, what Willard would call curriculum, and not missing big pieces, I would encourage you to listen or to read every week. I'm going to go out on a limb a little bit further now. Over the last eight weeks, uh, I've been doing some prep work. Very intentional prep work for this series. Talking about things that will be important foundations as we move forward. And so eight weeks, eight messages. Here they were. The school of Jesus, spiritual training, the root of our identity in Christ, the power that can transform us, becoming practitioners, the good news of God's kingdom, the importance of community and grace upon grace. And you may have been there for two or three or five or six or seven of those messages, some of those titles may ring a bell 
and many of them may not. But those are the foundations for what we're going to be doing ahead. So I'm going to do what I've never done before. And again, I don't think I'm a great preacher. Say to someone next to you, he's really not a great preacher. (laughs) But he's in the role of unpacking God's word for us. Go ahead and say that too. I'm going to ask you and encourage you. I'm going to ask you and encourage you to go back and listen. If you weren't here to the last eight weeks of messages, or to read, ask for a manuscript, and to read the last eight weeks of messages. Unbelievable ask that I'm giving to you today. But... To listen, to read will be less time. If you listened to all eight of those messages, it would take you about as long as it would take you to watch a 49ers game. That's it. Or a Cowboys game. Or whatever game you want to watch. That's it. So as a spiritual discipline, turn off the TV or listen in your car during your commute. Uh, Go back. I'm going to encourage and ask you. Rewind. Now, I want you to do something else, shift gears. Um, Put your hands out like this in front of you, palms up. Not up high, we don't have to be Pentecostal for right now, but just privately put your hands out, open your palms, and in doing this, say to God, here I am, open-handed, I'm available to you, I'm ready to listen, shape me, fill me, here I am. Let's pray. God, here we are sitting in our pews together, united as a body, as a family, as people who don't don't only love each other but also like each other. Help us to be attentive to you. Fill our hands, fill our hearts, fill our minds, fill our lives with yourself, your truth, your word, your love, your grace, your mercy. Open our eyes, give us ears that are good to hear and hearts that are good in fertile soil. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word that they might be received, taken to heart. If my words in any way are inconsistent with your word, may they not even be heard. May they not land in our hands or on our hearts. We pray in Christ the Lord. Amen. And a series like this could start in a number of different places. There's no right or wrong, but we're going to start uh, this morning with what Jesus said was most important. So uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, beginning at verse 28. Listen closely. Uh, This is the word of God. One of the teachers of the Jewish law came and heard Jesus and some members of a religious party called the Sadducees debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, this teacher asked Jesus, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one answered Jesus is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the teacher of the law replied to Jesus, you are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all of your heart and with all of your understanding and with all of your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices, all of your religious stuff. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. 
you are not far from the kingdom of God. You are close. You are very close. You are getting closer. The kingdom is just around the corner. You are almost there. You know the right answers, and now you just need to do it. Live it. And of course, Jesus' response to the question of the teacher of the law was not groundbreaking, not incredibly unique. Other rabbis had and again would give the exact same answer as Jesus gave. After all, Jesus' response, or at least part of it, was lifted straight from a passage of the scriptures from the beloved book of Deuteronomy that faithful Jewish people recited every morning and every evening together when they woke up and when they lied down. And that passage of scripture recorded in chapter 6 of Deuteronomy has been known for thousands of years as the Shema. Let's say that together. Shema, which is the Hebrew word that means to hear and which is the first word in this verse or collection of verses that goes like this, hear Shema, hear O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Everywhere and every morning and every evening, whether a person had children or not, whether a person was married or not, most Jews lived together with someone. Every morning and every evening, good and faithful Jewish people would and still do recite these words together. Let's do it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Get a Sharpie this, this afternoon. Door frame. So important was the primary affirmation, this primary affirmation and this command or these commands that it was to consume a person's life, Moses wrote. God wrote through Moses. To consume a person's life, to be on her heart, to be impressed on her kids to be discussed at every opportunity during the day, to be reflected on in the beginning of the day, in the end of the day, to be attached physically to one's body, for one's home or one's house or one's apartment to be dedicated to such. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. Jesus added the words to your mind. What do you love? Who do you love? And how do you love? The Greek word translated here as love is agapao. We are familiar with the noun form, agape. But agapao is the verb form. Let's say it together. Agapao, which means to totally give oneself over to something or to someone. Agapao does not convey merely emotions or feelings or certainly not romance but rather the relinquishing of one's life to something or to someone else, 
to put something or someone first in one's life, a total commitment of our wills and our lives to something, to someone. What do you love? Who do you love? And how do you love? I have a friend who loves Spider-Man. You would not believe the things over the course of the decades that have been made with Spider-Man printed on them or in the image of Spider-Man. He has them all like a museum. He has many, not one, but many tattoos of Spider-Man on his body. I have a friend who loves his body. He is totally committed to fitness, to looking great, to being healthy, to developing and maintaining a perfect body. We know people whose lives are committed to or that revolve around pleasure or wine or football or soccer or their work or success or their appearance or to monetary wealth. But Jesus said you cannot serve both God and money. What do you love? Who do you love and how do you love? As Moses did in Deuteronomy, Jesus lifts up the supremacy of God in all things. There is one true God, agapao, that God, love God. And we get caught up in the word love, but what may be more important than the verb love are the adverbial phrases attached to it. With all of one's heart, with all of one's soul, with all of one's mind, with all of one's strength. A simple, narrow, shallow, single-faceted, secondary, Sunday morning only, or compartmentalized love simply will not do. Gary Chapman wrote a book called The Five Love Languages that describe five different ways that people enjoy being loved. And reciprocally, five different ways that we love other people or ways that we can love other people. God deserves desires for us to love him in all five of those ways and more. To love God with all of one's heart means to love God with all of one's affections, desires, passions, emotions, feelings. Some of us who have been Presbyterian all of our life need to get in touch with that. Yes, we have affections, feelings, emotions, passions. To love God with all of one's soul means to love God with all of oneself as a created being. With all of one's hungers and perceptions and thoughts and commitments and wills and one's body. Where are your hands? One's very being. To love God with all of one's mind means to love God or again to totally give oneself to another uh, with and through one's intellect. It means backing up one's passions with knowledge and understanding and education and the whole realm of the mind. And to love God with one's strength may be most interesting. The word translated strength or might in Deuteronomy 6.5 usually functions almost always in the Old Testament as the adverb very. So whereas this Hebrew word is usually translated as very in the Old Testament, what would it mean to love the Lord with all of one's 
veriness. Interesting, the Greek translation of the Hebrew word there is power. The Aramaic translation of the word there is wealth. And both of these may actually be pointing to the same direction for the strength of a person or the might of a person. is not simply who he is or the power in his or her muscles, but what he or she has at their disposal, including presumably all of that person's resources, their veriness, which would include their physical bodies, their mind, their heart, their soul, but also their spouse, their children, their house, their apartment, their pets, their wardrobe, their tools, their cell phone, their entertainment, their music, their computers, your everything, all of the resources and influence at your disposal, your veriness, all of it. Whether you are an I or an E or an N or an F, or a T or a J, whatever your Myers-Briggs temperament inventory, whoever you are, however you are, God says all of that, all of you, all of yourself, love God. With what do you love God? How do you love God? What of you or about you or that belongs to you have you committed to God or handed over to God or dedicated to God? And maybe what have you not? Of all the commandments, which is the most important, Jesus was asked, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your mind and with all of your soul and all of your strength. And this was not only Jesus' teaching, but this was Jesus' way. This was Jesus' story. Jesus loved the Father. Jesus paid attention to his Father. Jesus spent time alone with his Father. You've often heard that time equals love. Love equals time. Jesus read his Father's words. He obeyed his Father's word. He loved what his Father loved, and he loved who his Father loved. And he continually did the will of his Father, continually. When Jesus was alone in the wilderness being tempted by Satan and tested by his father, he continually gave himself fully to his father, relying on his word, vowing allegiance to him alone, expressing trust in his Abba. Jesus, along the way, did what he prayed, and he sought his father's glory, edification, the glory of his name. We know that Jesus observed God's day of rest, Sabbath. Jesus worshiped God regularly in synagogue. We know that Jesus gave himself wholly to his Father when he prayed, not my will but yours. We know that with incredible resolve, Jesus loved and even forgave his enemies according to the will of his Father. His attention was always on his Father. And as much as Jesus could, he worshiped God. So often when we have talked as a church and as a Christian community about what it means to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, we have reduced that to simply an hour of worship or maybe even most specifically the singing part of that hour of worship as if that alone is loving God. It is not. It is a part of it but only a part of it. 
Jesus calls us to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, every one of our faculties, all of the time, dedicated, given over to him, relinquished, lifted up as an offering and praise and thanksgiving. But how can a person like you or I express love so completely, so thoroughly, so continually, only by the ongoing grace of God in our lives, which we talked about last week? And only by the power of God's indwelling spirit, only with God's help and with God's love, with his deep, affirming, never giving up love, can we love God with all of our hearts, minds, soul, and strength. It's the only way. Henry Nouwen wrote these words. Giving yourself to others is only possible when you have been fully received. Only when you know yourself as unconditionally loved, that is fully received by God, can you give freely and generously. Giving without wanting anything in return is trusting that all of your needs will be provided by the one who loves you unconditionally. It is trusting that you do not need to protect your own security but can give yourself completely to the service of others. You cannot give yourself to others if you do not own yourself and you cannot only truly own yourself when you have been, and you can only truly own yourself when you have been fully received in unconditional love. When you know yourself as fully loved, you will be grateful for what is given to you without clinging to it and joyful for what you can give without bragging about it. You will be a free person, free to love then and only then. Now and also writes, long before any human being saw us, we are seen by God's loving eyes. Long before anyone heard us cry or laugh, we are heard by our God who is all ears. At his baptism, Jesus came up out of the water and as he did, heaven opened up and a dove descended and a voice was heard speaking these words. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Close your eyes and hear those words. You are God's child, beloved. With you, he is well pleased. We are loved, and in that love and in the grace of God, we are empowered to love God with all of our hearts, minds, souls, and strength. Not because we have to, but because we get to. Not in order to be saved, but in order to express or to live out or to live into the gift of salvation that we have already been given and already received. And so I encourage you to consider this morning and today and this week and as we move forward what it might look like for you and in your life to love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. With everything, with all that you are, with all that you have, with all of yourself, with all of your veriness daily, continually, in everything. In all that you do on your calendar in the morning when you rise up, in the evening when you lay down. And at every point and with every person and in all of your aloneness in between. With every resource at your disposal. The operative word is not love emotionally. It is to love, to give over, to hand over, to give up, to relinquish with all and all and all and all. So on the pews, uh, I think, hopefully, and near the center aisle is a little card like this. So uh, take one down, pass it around, down your pew. And it's 
the first two verses of the Shema. It's not fancy, it's just God's word. And stick it in your wallet, stick it on your mirror, stick it on the dashboard of your car, stick it somewhere where you will, where you will remember it, see it, be reminded, be encouraged, and challenged. In every way, at every time, when you're driving, when you're laying down, when you're grieving, when you're celebrating, when you're with your coworkers, when you're on the bus, when you're on BART, love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. If you live with other people, read or recite this together in the mornings. It was a practice Jesus did. Read or recite this together before you go to bed. It's a practice that Jesus did. It's part of the way of Jesus. One more uh, saying from Henry Nouwen before we wrap up. The way of Jesus is radically different. It is the way not of upward mobility, but of downward mobility. It is going to the bottom, staying behind the sets, and choosing the last place. Why is the way of Jesus worth choosing? Because it is the way to the kingdom, the way Jesus took, and the way that brings everlasting life. Let's pray. With open hands, God, we confess our faults, our insecurities, our worries, our anger, our lust, our pride, our ambivalence, our reluctance, our lethargy, our lack of energy, our lack of will, our lack of desire. Have mercy upon us as you have promised, as you do. Heal us, restore us, return to us the joy of your salvation. Help us to live into your kingdom. Help us to walk in the way of Jesus. Help us to experience the joy and the peace and the delight and the privilege of walking in Jesus' steps in each step that we take. And we trust that with your help, by your grace, and the power of your spirit, as we do, we will see you face to face. And your kingdom will come, and your will will be done in our lives as it is in heaven. Amen.